0: Hello and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. This is the show where I talk to developers who are in business of one form or another and I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are and how they do the things they do. So if you're a developer and you want to get into business or maybe if you're already into business and you want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 30 with Philip Kylie. Quick announcement, I have just launched my latest teaching focus, which is going to be on security for React applications. You can find it at reactsecurity.io. So if you're a React developer and you wanna find out how to do things like add authentication and authorization to your app, if you want to find out how to harden your front end React code, then I've got some courses that will show you how to do just that. There are some free course offerings. There are some pro courses. Hopefully you can find something that is useful for you. Head over to reactsecurity.io to check it out. My guest today is Philip Kylie. Philip is a developer, writer, and entrepreneur who focuses on where code and words intersect. He has written for the likes of CSS Tricks, Smashing Magazine, and Twilio. He's a very recent college grad and is the author of Writing for Software Developers, which is available now. Philip, welcome to the show. Hi, Vyan, thanks for having me on today. It's a pleasure to have you here. I uh, was really intrigued to talk to you because you recently launched a a book called Writing for Software Developers. And uh, this is something that's super interesting to me because I've done a lot of writing and I'm a software developer. uh, And I'm very fascinated about how these two things um, kind of coincide and why it's important to be a good writer as a software developer. Um, So maybe that's where we could even start. I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, why you think uh, it's important to be good with words uh, when you uh, are also good with code. So maybe give us give us just a breakdown of like, wh- why is it that you think that it's important to be a good writer uh, as a software developer? Sure. So imagine you went and sat down in front of your computer
1: and said, hey, Siri, make a website. You know, it's not really going to do anything because you haven't been specific enough.
0: I found this on the web for make a website. There goes
1: Siri. <laughs> Sorry about that. But that's okay. Um, So you instruct your computer to make a website and it's not going to do anything because it doesn't know what you want. Mm. And so you have to, you know, use the actual language. You have to use HTML, CSS, use some front end, some back end. And writing is kind of the same way. If you just tell someone, hey, make a website, they're not going to really know what to do. So you need to practice communicating with the same level of specificity and technical detail. In a way that's readable to humans, as you do uh, when you when you're programming. Right. And so, studying writing in this context, you know, the book doesn't really talk about grammar, syntax, that sort of stuff. It's more mm-hmm. about how you can define your audience. Kind of like you know, okay, if I'm writing against the Python and well, I'm going to need to write Python three code. Similarly, okay, I'm writing for an English speaking audience. I'm going to need to write in English. My audience has a couple years of Background in these topics, so I'm allowed to make certain assumptions about what they're already going to know coming to the article It's taking the same approach to technical communication that you take with your computer and just Translating it to a new language that happens to be instead of a programming language, whatever human language you're writing in
0: Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And do you find I mean have you found in your experience that uh, software developers are are particularly um, that software developers in particular aren't generally great writers at the same time? Is this, cause I, I sense that perhaps you, you found a need here with, with, uh, with this book you've written, right? Writing for software developers. Do you, have you found it the case that like, and I've heard this from, from various people that I've uh, spoken with that like, if if you got a really great software developer, chances are or maybe not chances are, but there's there is a chance that they won't be that great of a, a writer at the same time, right? They may they may not know how to communicate with words uh quite in the, the to to quite the same skill level that they can communicate with code. Have you found that to be true at all?
1: I think that that can be true for a lot of people, but for the industry as a whole, I think that as more and more people are getting into software development, we are getting a broader range of backgrounds in the field. And thus, a lot of people are coming in with more pre existing communication skills. Right, yeah. I think that there are a lot of reasons why this perception that software developers are inherently bad at writing exists. Mm. Um, I've definitely seen some of my friends coming into college as international students struggling with writing just due to uh, having to write in their second or third language. and many of them gravitate towards software development. Um, There are plenty of people who get into software development because they don't like writing, but I think that overall there's no inherent reason that someone who is good at programming can't also be good at writing. And when Mm. people talk about, you know, you can be the best in the world at one thing, or it's a lot easier to become really good at two things, find that intersection and be really effective operating there. I think that when you take two especially disconnected things or apparently disconnected things like writing code and writing words and find that intersection, that's a very powerful place to operate.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, what's, so, I mean, if, if someone's out there and they're kind of thinking, um, you know, maybe my writing skills are all right, maybe I don't even know if they're okay or not, and if you were trying to convince them that they should Take a look at the skills they've got uh, writing wise right now and try to improve upon them. Um, And you were to try to give them some reasons why that's beneficial to do. What would you say? Like, what are the benefits of being able to, of being a better writer as a software developer? Well, being a writer
1: can help you develop your expertise in anything, really. So the first thing I would do is I would ask them what their goals were because I'm sure that writing could help them reach their goals. But in order to, tell them a specific path or give them specific reasons, I'd have to know exactly what they wanted. For me, I knew that I wanted to be able to teach a bunch of people the same stuff Mm. that I had struggled to learn myself. And so for me, practicing my writing was for the purpose of gaining access to large publications (laughs) that would be able to magnify and amplify my voice around the, Mm. to the far corners of the internet. And it was also about finding a flexible job that I could do part time while in college and would pay a lot more than working at the dining hall and give me (laughs) a chance to grow my skills and pad my resume
0: yeah totally so and maybe that's uh that's something we could go into is like what are the opportunities that you've uh kind of happened upon now that you've focused on writing we we mentioned some in the intro which is uh you've written for css tricks smashing magazine and twilio um tell tell me about that what's the how did how did you come upon those opportunities and uh was that a direct result of like focusing on more on your writing skills in particular
1: so imagine that You know, I'd woken up one morning and I'd said, okay, I'm going to write the headline story for the New York Times today. I'm a, you know, I'm a college journalist with basically no experience, but I really think I can get this done. You know, that would go nowhere. And I'd get laughed out of whatever room I presented that idea in. One of the great things about writing in the software development space is that all of the biggest names in publication are constantly looking for new ideas and new voices and new authors Mm -hmm. and so even with very little technical background well okay let me rephrase that even with very little on paper experience you still need a strong technical background um and no previous publications under your belt if you can write a compelling pitch they're not going to care who you are what sort of you know what sort of pre-existing audience you might have they don't care about any of that. They care, can you develop a really great, a really great article that our readers are going to enjoy and learn from? And once you do that in just one place, whatever other barriers might have existed really fall, fall away. So when mm. I'm pitching places, I can just say, hey, I wrote for this other place that's very similar to yours. Then they're going to be willing to entertain my ideas without caring that I'm sending the pitch from my dorm room.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's... Um... Yeah, it's been really interesting to see a lot of uh, folks that I've you know been interacting with in the industry who who weren't focused on writing so much in in previous parts of their career, but have really started to focus recently. And I'm thinking of you know some people who I, I knew were great software developers um, who have have more recently started to write for publications. Maybe not to the same size and scope as as uh, some of these we've listed here, but uh, have have started to write. And and it's been really cool to see the opportunities that have opened up as a result. It's almost like this, um, you know, you'll you'll write a piece for a publication and then there are are a bunch of possible effects that can happen as a result of it that you may not even be aware of as possibilities going into it. And and they may happen as you're sleeping. So I'm just thinking of like uh, some, you know, some examples that are, are very real where... Someone will write a post, it will get shared around, and then someone who needs uh, a special, uh, a developer who specializes in that topic will reach out to the author, hire them for like a small contract, whatever. So that's a very kind of real tangible way that like writing can, can have downstream effects. And then also just opening up the network of people that are in your audience, which, you know, you can grow that and compound it. So that's, I, I've seen for uh, for sure for myself and then also for others around me, uh, the, the real benefits of it. Um, Perhaps we could uh, we could chat about the, uh, the book itself, and so writing for software developers. Uh, this was a recent uh, recent launch of yours, very uh, very successful launch from what I'm seeing on uh, Twitter. You've been posting some things about it, uh, some of your numbers, and maybe we can dive into that. But before we get there, maybe let's chat about uh, the book itself. What's in the book? What's, uh, what are people gonna learn from it?
1: Sure, so the book is compo- composed of three acts, and the first act, Uh, It's it's acts because it has sort of a Shakespearean metaphor motif throughout the book, Shakespeare's on the cover, some of the example articles in the book use, you know, his sonnets. But Mm. anyway, in the first act, it walks the readers through, step by step, the process of crafting a technical tutorial. You know, something that's two or three thousand words and you could sell right away to a client. Now the reason that I chose this as the thing to walk people through is first off, it's really achievable for new writers to get through two or 3,000 words, scope out an idea, flesh it out, and present it. Hmm. Second, there's just a ton of demand from publishers for this stuff. I actually have put up a website that now, it's called com. Right hmm. now it's listing 43 different publications That's that cool. pay for technical content. So there's lots of demand out there, even with the increase in people writing. And that's the, the URL thing, again.
0: I'll just I'll I'll put it in the show notes. But what was the URL really quickly? Who Sure,
1: it's uh whopaystechnicalwriters.com.
0: Cool. Thank
1: you. Um, yeah, so then the third thing is when the, the the third thing is that if you're writing anything else, you know, a book, some documentation, API docs, a readme, the process of coming up with an idea figuring out your publisher and your audience, doing some research, then actually sitting down and doing an iterated writing and editing process, all of that is going to be the same, just probably at a larger scale for these larger projects. Mm. So that's why act one covers writing technical tutorials, but the book is called Writing for Software Developers because the skills are more general. Uh, The second section, act two, uh, has three examples, two of technical tutorials, one of a technical article, And then it breaks down exactly the choices I made in writing them. And then the third act is called the business of writing and it's about pricing your work. It's about IP, copyright, competition. It's about how publishers monetize the work, talking about advertising, sales and sponsorships, content marketing. And then it also talks about promoting your work and pursuing longer term projects. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then you've got all this then throughout it are interview quotes from 11 prominent and successful members of the field who are known to be good writers we have patrick mckenzie matt levine cassidy williams jeff atwood just tons of people who volunteered their time to talk to me about their experience so i i block quote those interviews throughout the book and then stick the full transcripts at the end
0: very nice that's excellent that's a a very intriguing um theme for for a book i think that's uh Really cool how you're working on, um, like the, the book kind of operates on a theme, the Shakespearean theme, but also like, you know, gives you the technical kind of uh, aspects that you, you're you looking for. And I'm, I'm looking on the, the book website right now. Um, you do have a ton of great interviews, including one with my good pal, Chris from Scotch. There's Chris. Um, yeah, that's, that's excellent. So tell me about the, the marketing story uh, behind this. What's the, um, the way that you kind of, Found your audience for it, and and started to get the word out about it. Uh, one because one thing, like, and I'm seeing you you had you've had a, a great launch. Like the one of the most recent uh, tweets that I'm seeing here from you is almost at twenty thousand in sales. Um, yeah, and i so passed that. That's that huge. Now. You passed that now, so that's that's huge. Um, And and one thing that I hear quite often from people who are interested in getting into selling a product is they're worried that like, because they may not have a huge audience, it may not, it may just be a flop. And um, it looks like you're newer on Twitter. I mean, like you're, uh, you joined in December, 2018. Um, You've got sub 1000 for followers, but here you are, you've made a great product. You've had a huge launch and it's gone very well. So um, tell me about your marketing strategy, I guess. And then how, would you kind of coach people if they're saying like yeah I don't have very many people like following me on Twitter is it even worthwhile to to, to launch something you know? Absolutely
1: So imagine this you wake up one morning you're, you're about to turn 21. you have 13 Twitter followers and two of them are your dad right? <laughs> you know you, you're, you're sitting at home in the middle of the worst economic situation you've ever seen in your life hopefully will ever see in my life. And you, you decide, you know, I really wanted to sell a hundred copies of my book during the launch week. Mm-hmm. So, so, what, so what did I do to uh, exceed that goal? Uh, I think right now I'm at 582 copies sold in the first uh, 14 days. So I had a very many prong strategy, and I won't mm-hmm. get into all the things that I tried that didn't work, but just a few who did. So first off, I launched on Hacker News. I've been a member of Hacker News for a long time. I've been reading it for years. So I know the community very well. I know exactly what they respond to and what they don't like. Hmm. So I created a Show HN post, and I wrote this a week in advance and spent a week tweaking and editing it. I made the post at exactly 8 AM my time, and then I left a really long comment below it explaining a lot about the book. because it was a show HN, it had a lot of sticking power. It got to stay around on that separate tab for a while, which okay. meant within a couple hours, people had upvoted it a little bit. It was afternoon in Europe. So they brought it up. The Eastern Seaboard woke up, looked at it, voted it all the way to the top, just in time for California to wake up and me to get a huge influx of traffic mm. because it was at the top of Hacker News. Interesting.
0: So the timing was I very... Sold the most Yeah, I think the
1: timing was key, and that's why I sold most of my books on launch day, or at least in that first half of launch.
0: Gotcha. From
1: there, I'm really grateful to the people who who did interviews with me, not only because their interviews make the book ten times better than it could be on its own, but because they were willing to lend some of their credibility to my project. And when I say lend, I really mean invest, because... Mm -hmm. I think that by creating a great product and finding a large audience with it, I gave them a positive return on investment for attaching their name and staking a little bit of their reputation on the quality of this product, Mm, which is a big risk for them to take. Um,
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, you
1: can't just go around throwing your name on everything. You have to protect your, I think it's called the uh, right to publicity, Mm. but ultimately by... Keeping in close contact with them throughout the process of creating this book and especially coming up to launch, I was able to, you know, give them, give everyone a contributor copy so that they knew they were supporting a professional looking product. Mm -hmm. I was able to let them know exactly what my launch strategy was and how I hoped they would play into that. And then every single person who I interviewed in one way or another helped me out with launching the book. Um, In particular. Patrick McKenzie and Daniel Vasalo both wrote very successful original tweet threads about it that got nice. me a ton of traffic and a ton of sales. So I'm very grateful for that. And so that was the second aspect of my marketing strategy was hmm. leveraging the interview subjects, massive Twitter audiences as compared mm-hmm. to my literally 13 followers. And then using that to boost my signal. The final yeah. thing that I did, was I've been working in this field for over a year now, uh, the field being technical content. So I have a long list of people who are clients, potential clients, people who I've just run into from writing, Yep. excuse me. And so I just sent literally everyone I know individualized emails about the book. It's, it's not like I had a big email list or anything that I was sending out to, it was just me from my personal email account writing individualized emails all morning to people. And that generated even more traffic, people posted on social media about it and people bought the book. Hmm. And so that gotcha. was the third successful strategy that I used. Since That's... then, I've been leveraging my new audience. I mean, you said sub 1000, but I'm really excited about having 823 Twitter followers. Um, yeah and I've had a good amount of success posting tweet threads posting content and continuing to keep the momentum rolling in terms of sales
0: yeah totally and uh, and and certainly the uh, I'm sure the followers will continue to to roll in the uh, the, the the leveraging um, the audience, Uh, part that you just spoke about where you're sort of uh getting getting interviews from people in the industry that are well known who have large audiences and trying to uh maybe maybe um get get some attention from what they are going to be saying about your book i think that's so so smart and and one thing i wonder about that is these people that you have as uh interview subjects for the book are these all people that you had kind of like a pre-established uh, relationship within some uh, relationship with in some way, or are they people that you kind of reached out to uh, cold? Was it a mix? Um, how did you, how did you kind of establish this uh, this this idea with these people to to do interviews?
1: I had basically no pre-existing relationship with anyone who I interviewed for the book. I'd never worked with them, never been their client, never you know been their employee, none of that. Um, I think that for a couple of them, we had maybe done email exchanges before, but that was that email exchange in the past was initiated the exact same way that I initiated getting everyone interested in the project, and that was just lots of cold email. So, gotcha. I sent out almost a hundred cold emails asking for interviews to get the eleven that I did. Right. Um, I queried, you know, there's no point in getting into who didn't respond or say yes, yeah. but. I queried basically everyone who you would expect to appear on a list next to these people. And gotcha. these are the ones who had the time in their day to do it. And so I'm very grateful for that. Um, in terms of the exact emails that I sent, they tend to, they tended to be a very short and be very personalized. You know, I would say, Hey, I'm a college student. I'm working on this project, this book project. I'd like to interview you for these particular reasons related to your work. Here's my schedule for the people in foreign countries. I said, you know, if the only time that works for you is 3 a.m. My time, I would rather wake up at 3 a.m. Call you and do an interview than not have you in the book. Right, right. So I made it very clear that I'm willing to accommodate whatever their schedules are and make this a minimally difficult process for them to do. Yeah. And it turns out that a lot of people are willing to give you 30 or 60 minutes. Uh, when you create a good value proposition like that. And then the other thing that I did to, you know, once they had agreed to the interview, the thing that I did to make the interviews good and to make them invested in the project is I just went and looked at everything they've done before. Like hmm. the the example that I gave in the, the last podcast that I did is that, you know, Patrick McKenzie has written more than 500 articles on his site. I'm pretty sure I read about 200 of them Mom. coming into the interview. Uh, which you know some of those were reviewing things that I'd read in the past, you know i read Daniel Vassallo's book. I read Cassidy Williams's newsletter I just read all of this stuff that people have written and because of that I was able to ask questions that other people hadn't asked them before and mm-hmm. that's the key aspect of my interview strategy is Coming up with original questions to get original answers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so smart and and the interviews themselves, I would assume, like you're asking them questions uh, that are, are is very questions that are very particular to the topic of the book, right? Like because these people are all writers, so you're you're asking them things like, what what's your strategy for writing in X Y Z scenario? Is that the the idea? Exactly. I
1: I think that a lot of the people in the book are better known for something they do other than though writing. But they wouldn't necessarily be known for that if they hadn't written so much, or if not written, created content somewhere else. So I didn't just talk about writing because there's only so much you can say in terms of, yes, I sit down at the keyboard and I type words until they are good. <laughs> right. But I talked about all those things tangential to the process of writing. Many of these people publish other people's writing, and so I asked a lot about that because I have experience on one side of the table, so I was trying to get the perspective of the people who are, who are reading my work and mm-hmm. commenting on it, giving me feedback, and ultimately deciding whether or not it gets published and whether or not I get paid. Right. So I was trying to bring these perspectives into the book through the interviews.
0: That's very cool. Uh, so you mentioned those three sort of prongs of the marketing approach that were uh, really successful. Was there anything you tried that didn't work so well for this launch? Anything you might recommend against if uh, folks are interested in doing, doing a product? Um, any experience there?
1: Yeah. So there's, you know, the saying like 50% of your advertising budget is wasted. You just don't know which 50%. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So my advertising budget was $0 and plenty of hours of my time. Right. So, you know, I did a lot of things. I made face, made a Facebook post, made a LinkedIn post, made a product hunt, indie hackers, just a ton of different platforms. Um, none of, none of those were particularly successful or drove a ton of traffic. Um, I afterwards I went on Reddit and while I got a ton of traffic through that post, I don't think I necessarily made very many sales. Mm. So I think that you ultimately have to try everything, and then once you figure out what works, and for me, what worked was Twitter and Hacker News. Just double down on that.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Um, but so, it might be different for different products.
0: <clears throat> That's the other thing some... is. Yep.
1: Yeah, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Okay. Uh, the other thing is that. Um, There are definitely things that I should have done. You know, the conventional wisdom is you have to grow your audience first. You have to make a landing Mm. page, make an email list, provide a lot of valuable content for free, and then launch your book. The fact that I was able to succeed without that doesn't mean that that stuff isn't useful. I imagine I could have sold a lot more if I'd been able to put the time in with that. Mm. But ultimately, this book already took me almost six months to write, and I didn't have the time to... Get, this, get a massive content marketing operation underway as mm-hmm. well while also trying to hit my goal of publishing before graduation.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I th- that's, that's something that I was thinking about is like that is the conventional um, product launch wisdom, I think, is like you have to spend a lot of time building up the audience, building up your email list, uh, giving your best stuff away for free uh, is, is the tip that I often hear. Um, and, and gain that trust relationship with people um, before you actually launch a product to them. And this is, you know, not always necessary as, as you, you have proven here. Um, so that's, you know, I guess if, if you've got the time to do that, perhaps it's a good idea. But but if you're trying to get something done in, a, in, in short order, you know, there is still a possibility uh, if you you know, use use wise marketing strategies like you have to, to make it a, a success without that. And and one of the strategies that I wanted to sort of uh, zoom in on is Hacker News because Hacker News, I I don't know, Hacker News is a bit of a mystery to me. I, I don't spend much time there. That's probably why it's a mystery. Um, it sounds like you, you know, that's where you have spent a lot of time and, and so you know the community very well. What is a product what are the characteristics of a product that is going to do well in a Hacker News post versus one that's going to be laughed out of the uh, Y Combinator domain? You know what I mean? Like there's yeah, there's there's this certain I mean, we uh, many of us in the industry know of Hacker News to be this um, ruthless place of uh just the 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 most the worst the worst comments you might happen upon uh about a product if it's posted there uh, that you'd ever see so why did a book like yours uh reach why did it resonate with the the kinds of people perhaps that are on hacker news versus many other things that that are are not so welcome
1: so i've made some big mistakes on hacker news before okay um i you know this is this is going to be a your podcast exclusive, and I'm a little nervous to talk about it on the air. So okay. I'm going to preface this by reminding the audience that at the time I was a particularly dumb college student. Okay. Um, but I created this site called MillionDollarJobs.com that my friends are still making fun of me. <laughs> um, and I I intended it as this kind of like harmless parody of you know some of these sites out there that are promising. You know, promising a lot and not really delivering anything, especially mm. in the career space. And I thought that I had done a very clear job of showing that this site was not, not a serious thing. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I had totally misjudged the audience and people were taking it kind of seriously uh, and, and getting their hopes up, uh, which, you know, was not what I wanted. I got a ton of traffic through this post from Hacker News. A lot of people left justifiably mean comments, and then I, uh, you know, I, I freaked out, emailed the moderator and said, "Hey, could you do one of those super tanky downvotes to my post, please?" Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, deleted the site from my from my personal website because you know it just it just wasn't a good look. It was a hmm. entirely failed experiment. So, fortunately. Hacker News doesn't seem to have a particularly long memory Mm -hmm. Um, because while, you know, you can make these very big public mistakes on there, what ultimately they're going to respond to is genuine effort, creating something that's legitimately good and interesting. And one thing Cassidy Williams says in the interview for the book, based on her experience with developer evangelism, is that developers don't like being sold to. The Hacko right. News audience also does not like being sold to. So it's about creating something that spends a lot of time demonstrating its own value, in my case through a lot of social proof, but also through you know, a free chapter, for example, posting in the comments section a huge excerpt from the book about Hacko News itself, um, and really taking the time to show the community that you care a lot about the thing that you have made. And so in this case, you know, having made a genuine product and a real effort, I was correspondingly rewarded with uh, positive attention for the most part. That said, right. you can't show something to 20,000 people without a couple of them, you know, hating you just for making it. Right. So there were, of course, a few comments. You know, someone went through and like found a typo or not, not a typo, <laughs> but like an awkwardly phrased sentence in a blog post that I'd written. Like oh six months ago and said, well, if this guy can't even write proper English like this terrible sentence, oh my why my should we listen to anything he has to say? And, you know, <laughs> you just have to not feed the trolls and, and trust that the community at large is going to respect the work that you've done.
0: Yeah, man, that's interesting. I I, I always have this picture of the Hacker News news. Um, readership or I guess mem- the members of Hacker News being these kind of these people that just sit around waiting for something to like um, to bash all day long and and that, that person who, who found the awkwardly phrased sentence is kind of who I have in my mind when I picture Hacker News sometimes but yeah uh, I mean that
1: exists but for the most part like if that's what these people did all day they wouldn't be buying my book most people on mm-hmm. Hacker News are busy professionals who are looking to keep a you know, a thumb on the pulse of the industry, yeah. and so if you make something bad, like I did that one time, that wastes everyone's time, then sure, you're going to get yelled out of the out of the room, very justifiably. Right. But every time I've made a genuine effort on Hacker News, it's been rewarded with positivity.
0: That's really cool. What's like? So, I mean, you, that was a really good. Thank you for telling that story about the uh, the failed experiment. That's that's. Uh, really it's an interesting story and and one i think that people can take a lot of lessons from um aside from that though are there any kinds of like in your mind from what you've seen on hacker news is there a particular kind of like product like a taught like let's 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 think of courses books this kind of thing um that are in the software development space is there anything are there other are certain topics that just wouldn't do well on Hacker News, do you think? And I'll give you like an example from, from my own work is that I, I just released a free course that's about uh, securing React applications. So it's like, uh, you know, kind of a top to bottom uh, how to secure your React app, right? And it gets into lots of aspects of, of security on the web. And I didn't post it to Hacker News and I don't know that I will because I've got, I well, first of all, I suppose it's because I don't really spend any time there in the first place. I don't really, I don't have, I don't have the kind of feel for the, the audience there. I don't know what they would respond to. And I'm, I'm learning a lot from you as, as we're talking, but also it just, it seems to me like it's a topic that from what I do know of Hacker News, it seems like a topic that wouldn't really be of interest there for some reason. Like I, I kind of see Hacker News as being a place where certain topics like um, how to make more money doing something in software development. That might be one topic that is of interest there, but kind of very focused, particular niche topics around certain aspects of different frameworks and libraries, etc., cetera, don't seem like they would resonate that well. So anyway, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Like, are there certain kinds of content in that regard that, that wouldn't do well?
1: Yeah, it's complicated because. On the one hand, the more technical the content is, the better it tends to do. On the other hand, the more niche the content content is, the more it's a sort of high-risk, high-payoff sort of situation. 90% of the time, if you post something really, really niche, it's going to get just ignored. And then, Hmm. you know, 10% of the time, and these are very rough and probably inaccurate percentages, A ton of people are going to see it and say, hey, this is awesome. That is my niche. I connect super deeply with this thing that has been created and posted here, and they're going to comment, they're going to upvote, and they're going to tell people about it. And so when you can do something like my book, which is, at the same time very very general it's writing for all software developers yeah and also very very specifically technical yeah, like this is what a book thinking. not designed for 99 percent of the people out there in the world who want to write anything yeah then i think that's where you meet the sweet spot i hmm. think that the other thing is just you know the worst thing that can happen if you post something is that it gets ignored that's fine like then all you're out is, you know, the five minutes it took you to type in the, uh, the, yeah. the headline, the URL, and make sure everything works. So ultimately, while certain topics do better, you can never predict everything fully ahead of time. And so I think that it's always just worth taking the shot and seeing if there are people on that platform who like it. And that's true for Hacker News and that's true for every platform.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, cool. That's really helpful. I I was just thinking that. Like your book is very it 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 is both very uh broadly applicable but also very niche at the same time. So it's an interesting kind of sweet spot, like you said, that, that you fit, which is uh, I'm sure to do well into the future. And uh, speaking about your future, you have just recently graduated. So huge congratulations to you. I think you said just a week ago, uh, you've graduated from college, so that's uh, awesome. And you've got your, your CS degree now with honors. What's, uh, what's your plan for the future?
1: So last summer I interned at a company that I'm really excited to atone to as a full-time software engineer. Because, they, I, you know, I really believe in the company, they make great stuff, and I learn a lot while I'm working there. That said, I do intend to continue promoting my book, for sure, but also, I, you know, I get a little uh, I, I don't like it when people on the internet are selling courses about how to sell courses, or, hmm. you know, I'm going to teach you how to make money teaching people how to make money. There's a certain <laughs> level of meta that yeah. I just find disingenuous. I think that while I was writing this book, I made a very deliberate effort to stay below that level to stay at the level where I am teaching a genuine skill rather than teaching about teaching or teaching about teaching about teaching or just <laughs> getting into a ridiculous level of abstraction right in order to support that, I have to continue to do the thing that I've been doing for the past more than a year while I was you know learning all this stuff and then writing this book and that's writing technical tutorials for clients it's something that i love to do and it's something that i hope i'm going to continue to do even with a full-time job you know in the in the nights and weekends sort of time because now that i've written the book i'm getting a lot of inbound interest and a lot of cool opportunities to write for places whose previous work i think is really interesting Mm -hmm. and so i definitely intend to pursue those and keep creating technical content so that I can keep, you know, teaching more people both through the content itself and then just one level, just the acceptable level of meta <laughs> above that uh, with this book.
0: Yeah, totally. That's really cool. Um, well, I think you know that's probably a good place to start wrapping up. Um, one thing that I do wonder uh, if you can speak to uh, before we go though is if there are folks out there who want to start uh, thinking about writing a book if they want to start thinking about doing a course. Uh, hopefully not too many levels of abstraction, uh, meta above the actual topic itself. Uh, but you know if they do want to start thinking about that sort of thing, what do you recommend? Where's a good, uh, what's a good way to start to explore topics that would, uh, I guess, both be of interest to some audience out there uh, and also sort of achievable in, in, in terms of being able to write a book about it or, or create a, a screencast, course, about it?
1: So I love Django. And let's say I wanted to write a book about Django, even though there's plenty of competition out there. You know, the first thing I'd do is go ahead and find a few publishers, pitch them articles on something very specific implemented in Django, write those, get the feedback from the editors, get comfortable with my voice, and publish those. And making sure that, you know, if I wanna write a book about how to make APIs with Django, maybe the things that I'm going to do with publishers are very front-end focused, so I'm not stealing content away from myself. So, after doing this two or three times, I'm sure you'd have some understanding of what people are looking for, some understanding of your own writing process, your own um, your own knowledge and abilities. And then it would be pretty straightforward to sit down and outline the book. Instead of outlining it as a book, outline it as a series of 20 related articles on the same topic. Mm. Um, and then write a few of those articles, send them out for feedback among your friends and professional network and just continue to iteratively create the book and by the time you've written those 20 articles you can just sort of glue them together and boom you have an entire book hmm. so that's the process that I would you know that's the process I would recommend start with some public facing work then figure out exactly what your outline's going to look like and just write it a piece at a time get feedback along the way and then when you're done really invest the time i mean i finished the content of the book about a month before actually publishing it, Mm -hmm. but I went through several rounds of first developmental copy editing and then proofreading, beta reading uh, with both a network of my friends and then also my mother who's a professional proofreader and copy Mm -hmm. editor. And so I'd say it's definitely worth the time to make that investment in making a really high quality product and that's one thing that would help your book stand out from the crowd. So that's sort of the approach that I would suggest to writing a technical book
0: nice love it that's uh, <clears throat> that's a unique approach that i haven't heard be advised before but one that makes a lot of sense so um that's awesome thank you for that um great well where can people find you online we're going to link up uh some of these spots that you've already talked about the book of course which is at writing for software uh who pays technical is another great resource for uh, those who want to get paid to write articles where else can people go to where can they find you online
1: Sure, so my central hub on the internet is philipkiley.com, which is just, you know, my own personal website, and that links to literally everywhere that I am. I think that if you want to get up-to-date updates on what I'm working on, uh, Twitter's the best place for that, because I'm posting daily about tips from my own work. And then on YouTube, I'm definitely planning on creating some more videos about, um, for example, the one I'm planning on working on this week is doing a complete video walkthrough of the first week analytics on sales, both looking at the sales themselves, my Google analytics, and then also stuff like Twitter um, to figure out exactly how all of these people came and found my book and bought it.
0: Great. And so so,
1: that's where you should find me.
0: Sounds good. So Twitter, it's twitter.com slash Philip underscore Kylie. And then uh, YouTube, what's your YouTube channel?
1: Uh, if you just go to youtube.kylie.xyz, it'll redirect you there.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, but good. it's also
1: just at my name, Philip Kylie.
0: Okay. We'll link that up. So uh, that's great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This was a lot of fun. I uh, am very happy to hear that your launch is, it was, a, it was a great success. Um, and I, I wish you much more success in the future. And congrats again on your recent uh, graduation.
1: Thank you, Ryan. This was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you so much once again for tuning into the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast today. This has been episode 30 with Philip Kylie. You can find show notes with links to all the resources that Philip mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you'd like to follow along on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. And if you'd like to subscribe, you can go to ecpodcast.io slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review. Until next time, happy hacking.